0: evening. That's me on the cliff there. Not really. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. We're just going to dive right into it. I was looking, I was talking to Paige about it, and she's like, man, your sermons have been kind of a little downer lately, talking about stress and now anger. But I hope that this can still be encouraging. It may not start off encouraging, but we certainly will end encouraging. I want us to get into this mindset here and imagine for a second, look, we tell a friend, maybe even a brother and sister in Christ, someone we love, we tell them, look, you're not very comforting. You're not very comforting. Maybe we go even further and we say, look, when I I see you, I groan and I moan and I'm just discouraged. When I think about you, I'm exhausted. (laughs) <laughs> that's, those are not nice things to say. And if we said that to someone, they'd probably be wondering, what have I done that's so wrong to make you mad at me, angry at me? Why would you say something like that? Imagine saying that to someone who's higher in rank than you, a boss or, or a king, let alone the creator of the universe, God. And yet maybe that's how we might feel at times. Maybe we might be angry with God. This is how Asaph felt when he wrote Psalm 77. We look at Psalm 77, and Asaph here is angry with God. And he says all these things that we just mentioned here. And he starts off by saying these things, by expressing his anger to God. And it starts off good. I want you to notice how he starts this psalm. Because he takes his anger to God. And he says in verse 1, he says in Psalm 77, verses 1 through 4, He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. That's a great start. That's exactly what we should do. We should seek the Lord, and that is a theme that we will see throughout this lesson. We need to seek the Lord. But then he goes on to say, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying." My soul refuses to be comforted. Where is he finding comfort? He's going to God. He says, he says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate and I think, who is he thinking about? He says, my spirit faints. And yet, he says in verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I love the Psalms. They're one of my favorite parts of the Bible because they just show, they show a great picture of the soul. It's, and it's inspired. And God's like, here are some words for you. You might one day be in this place and feel this way. Here is a prayer. Here are some words to help guide you. It's a beautiful kaleidoscope of, of emotions and feelings and perspectives. And maybe you feel like Asaph in your life right now. You're angry with God. And that's what we're talking about this evening. We've talked about anger before, but maybe not from this angle so much. But we might look at our life and feel like that's a dominating factor. Or in this moment, that's dominating my life. And why do I feel this way? How do I get out of this feeling? And for some, this might not be familiar. Maybe you might be wondering, Why could you ever be mad at at God? I don't understand. And yet for others around us, that's exactly how we feel. That's what we feel. And there's several different reasons why we might feel this way. Maybe we lost a loved one and we don't know why all of a sudden. Maybe... We've been hurt, mistreated, we've experienced injustice, and we don't understand why we live in this world. And, and then, of course, we start to make the mistake that we blame God for all this evil in the world. Or maybe we're simply just disappointed in where we're at in life. We feel like, like God placed us at a different, different starting line than every, everyone else, and we're wondering why. Maybe we read the scriptures and we're just confused. We don't understand what we're reading. We're frustrated with God. Maybe we're faced with the truth. That's what God's word does. It it tells us the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what? All of those things are good. We want those things. We want guidance. We want to know the way. We want to know the truth. We want eternal life. We want those things. But man, change is hard. Facing the truth is difficult. We want change, but then we don't want change. And we're unsure, and we can become angry with God. There's several different reasons. But anger with God, it can be a sin. It can lead us down a very dark road and evil path, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be a sin. If we're taking it to God and we have a righteous anger, and it can actually help us grow in our faith. We'll see that in the scriptures tonight. But what we do know is that God understands that this life is not always going to be easy. That if we compare ourselves to God, we are often like like children if we think of ourselves in comparison to God and His infinite wisdom and great power and understanding. And yet that's often when our anger is generated, where it comes from, and a misunderstanding, confusion, and frustration. And this is why we have to lean into God's words. This is when Isaiah 55, this verse comes to fruition, and God boldly declares, and He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's a humbling verse or passage to accept. But we have to. We have to if we're gonna get over our anger and our frustration. Now that doesn't mean that again, look, if we're angry with God that, that we sin. We can absolutely sin if we are angry with God. And we don't assume that God is wrong at all. God is always, always 100% right and righteous. But there's a difference. There's a difference between anger and defiance. We can be angry with someone or something and still be respectful. Yeah, and yet, at the same time, I mean, this is anger. We can be angry with someone or something and be disrespectful, disobedient, and rebellious, defiant, and that's when it becomes a sin. So, how do we overcome this feeling if we're angry with God? And more importantly, how do we grow out of this and have a stronger relationship with God? I want you to know that after this study, our anger, if we have anger towards God or anyone else, isn't just going to immediately disappear. Anyone who knows anger, anger doesn't work that way. It kind of just fizzles out. It's kind of like carbon in a soda. And that carbon kind of lasts longer in some than others. And that's that's just the fact. The thing is, with anger, God pleads to us that, yes, you're going to feel it. If you live long enough, you're going to feel it. I need you to be slow to anger, slow to anger. He repeats this over and over in the scriptures. And so to give you a few examples, some comparisons, turn your Bibles over to Numbers 14. We're going to look at the Israelites and Moses and how these two people are both angry with God at different times and deal with their anger in different ways. And for God's people in the wilderness, They've directed their anger toward God and it turns into complaining and grumbling and eventually complete disobedience and rebellion, even apostasy. And yet we see in this passage here in Numbers 14, they've now sent out the spies. The spies come back from the promised land that they're journeying to and 10 of them come back with a bad report that this is not a place that you want to go to, that God has lied and God, he sees this and his people are angry with him. And they rebel and they respond in disbelief. And notice what they say in verses 3 through 5. They say, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. We even know if you drop down to verse 23, God says that there are some among us, some among God's people here that despise him, that hate him. Look, any anger toward God that comes out of, you know, despising him or hatred is an absolute sin. It's evil. And yet we know Right after this, God has no chance but to no other no option but to banish them to wander in the wilderness, and you would expect that they would grow from this and learn from this, but that's not what we see. Turn over to numbers chapter twenty one and again they're angry with God and numbers twenty one we read in verse five that they say. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there, there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Food that God supplies. They loathe it. They don't get any better. In fact, there are several instances if we read the entire Exodus story we see them get angry with God over and over again. And what we find is that their anger toward God, it doesn't simmer out. It doesn't completely go away. God's people that, and their anger, they don't learn. They don't become more faithful. Instead, they get worse. Until again, God has to banish them to live out this generation's, the rest of their lives in the wilderness. What we see from their anger is that they become less faithful. And that's a danger. That's a danger for us. That's why we don't want to be in this state. We shouldn't strive to be in this state. We should strive to fall in love and more in love with God. And yet, for the Israelites, they don't appreciate all that God has done for them. Their anger for God is fueled by empty stomachs, by discomforts, by a lack of vision They don't have the spiritual fortitude or maturity to see past the here and now. They don't see God for who he is. To them, God is just this wishing well. He's a a lazy boy recliner. That's all he's there for. To them, God is just there for their physical comfort and not their spiritual fulfillment. And that's key for us. Because we need to ask ourselves, and our relationship with God, when we're angry with God, you know, how do we view him? How do we see God? Again, is God our source of only physical comfort and not spiritual fulfillment? Okay, people have wondering, well, what is spiritual fulfillment? I mean, our relationship with God, our maturity with him. Are we relying on him and his strength and receiving joy from him? Because if we have a relationship with God and all we're trying to get is physical comfort, that's all we're looking for, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to understand. We're not going to mature. Instead, we're going to continue to do what we're doing now. And that's decay. Without any joy, without any strength, we're going to decay with just complete frustration and anger. And what, what kind of existence is that? not an existence that I want to be a part of. And what we see is when we have this perspective, our problems continue to reoccur over and over and over again. The same thing over again. That's what we see from the Israelites in this journey. They have the same problems and it keeps recurring over and over again. And we can ask ourselves in our lives, do we see the same problems keep rising and keep reoccurring? And now you might be wondering, well, you know what? Often It's my physical discomfort that determines my spiritual fulfillment. That's backwards. That's backwards. You see, our spiritual fulfillment, our relationship with God, should determine how we interact and react with the world around us and our physical discomforts. And so depending on our motivation, when we're angry with God, that can either, like the Israelites, lead to rebellion and defiance or we can be like Moses and we can grow out of that. We can see it as an opportunity to grow. Turn over to Exodus chapter 5, where Moses becomes very angry with God. You see, Moses, he chooses to see his relationship with God as an opportunity for spiritual fulfillment. You compare the hearts of God and, and or of Moses and God's people here, and Moses deals with his anger in a completely different way. And Moses here in Exodus 5, he gets angry because he sees the injustice. He sees the hurt of God's people. He sees that they're under extreme slavery, and he doesn't hear from God. He doesn't see God's actions. We can go to several psalms for that, and maybe that's how we feel at times. And notice what he says here. He says in Exodus 5, 22, 23, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. You Read that, and you can feel, at least I do, I feel rage in Moses. He's angry, and he's angry with God. And he's saying to God, you promised this and you have done nothing to deliver your people. You've done evil. (sighs) Evil? I thought God was good. God is good. And he encompasses everything that is good and perfect. Who would say that he's done evil? You might expect God to look at Moses or to speak to Moses and rebuke him for saying such things. And say, that is absolutely inappropriate. But the thing is, we have to look at Moses' heart. You see, God sees Moses' heart. And Moses doesn't care about what physically happens to him so much as he cares about his relationship with God and God's people and their well-being and their relationship with God. And his anger is in search for spiritual fulfillment. In search of a stronger relationship with God. It's like Asaph. He's seeking the Lord and he's going to God in this anger, even when it's with God. And this is why God gives the response that he does. Look at the next chapter. Look at Exodus chapter six. Look at verses two through eight. What does God say? He says, God spoke in verse two to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God does a remarkable thing here, both in silence and in word. In silence, he doesn't say to Moses, I'm burning with anger. We can read passages where God is burning with anger. He doesn't say to Moses, you have sinned, you need to take back and and take back what you said to me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that what Moses said was was irreverent. He doesn't mention that. In fact, if we think about it, when was God angry with Moses specifically? Exodus 3, Exodus 4, burning bush, where Moses was defiant, and God's like, I need you to go to Egypt and, and deliver my people, and Moses says, No. Moses says no to what God commands him, and that is when God is angry. Not when Moses is angry. Not when Moses brings his anger to God. God isn't angry here. I love it. I love that that's the God that we serve. And you see, when we're angry, we tend to forget, tend to just zoom in. We tend to just focus and maybe even obsess, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. Right, we can. If we're trying to overcome a problem and draw closer to God, that could be a good thing. But at the same time, if we're doing what is wrong, that's a bad thing. But God understands that Moses, Moses doesn't understand—not here, and not in what he said. And because God knows that anger can be such a narrow, can narrow our mindset, God takes a second here to remind Moses about who he is. Not saying, look, this is who you're talking to. He's saying to Moses, look, I'm answering your questions. This is who I am. I am the Lord. I will do this. I have done this. I will fulfill prophecy. These are my people. I will be their God. When we're angry, and when we're angry with God, we need to remind ourselves of who God is. This is the God whose thoughts and whose ways are much higher than mine. He has an eternal and a cosmic perspective that is perfect. And so, yes, I may be angry with God because I don't understand or I'm dealing with this thing that's very difficult. I need to trust in who God is if I'm going to come out of this stronger and more faithful. And this is what. The whole response from God is about. That's why he begins and ends in the same way. as two bookends. I am the Lord, and I am the Lord. And then he says in verses 6 and 7, some bonus phrases, I am the Lord. If we turn over to Matthew chapter 11, we see a much more tame version of this. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist is sitting in prison here. And he's wondering, is Jesus actually the Son of God? And he sends out his disciples, maybe I should go look, maybe we should be looking for someone else in, in his question here. And we don't know if he's specifically angry. The text doesn't tell us. But what we do know for certain is that there is some confusion here. And you can just hear that, that in the slightest way, I don't think it's too far-fetched, some frustration and even, a, even some aggravation. Matthew 11, look at verses 1 through 3 that tell us, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one whom is to come or shall we look for another? Think about that for a second. This is John the Baptist here. Right? This is John the Baptist who baptized Jesus. Right? And when he baptized Jesus, there was a voice that said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then we think about his situation for a second, John's situation. And this would be aggravating to anyone. If you're ministering and you're paving the way for Jesus and you're telling the truth and then you get thrown in the prison. And now he's wondering, look, is this the son of God? Should we be looking for someone else? There's some obvious confusion here in this situation, and yet that can be us. We can be wondering, why why is God doing it this way? Why is it this way? Why does it have to happen like this to the most faithful of us, and yet In this confusion, Jesus says to John almost something very similar to what God said to Moses in verses 4 through 6. He says, look, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is prophecy fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, Jesus answered them and said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. If you're angry with God, I get it. But deep down, we can't be angry with who God is and his character. As Jesus says, we do not need to be offended by Jesus, by God. We cannot be defended. Blessed is him who sees God for who he is. It's important that we remember this is the Jesus that saved us from sin. This is a Jesus that changes us and changes our lives and changes our perspective. He's the one that heals the blind and the lame and the sick. And he preaches the good news to those in need. And if we can get outside of ourselves and past our anger and see all the good that he's done for everyone else in the kingdom and in the world and our brothers and sisters, why should we be angry with that? shouldn't. And for those who serve God, God is there for you to do what is good. So even though we may not be in a very happy situation, we may be angry with God because we lack knowledge, we're faced with the truth, we have to realize God is working everything out for good. And that's what we read, for example, in Romans 8, 28, when it says, and we know that for those who love God, do we love God? All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And I want us to think back on Psalm 77, that Asaph writes. And he started off pretty negative. He started off angry, disappointed, And yet he still was seeking God and he desired spiritual fulfillment. And he goes on to give some pretty positive words that just jump out of the page when he says this. This is how he handles that anger. He says in verse 10, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, you redeem your people, children of Jacob and Joseph. And our anger, do we act like Asaph? Do we appeal to this, to what God does? Do we appeal to God for spiritual fulfillment? Because that's the only way that we're going to have our anger fizzle out, to become stronger and more mature in our faith, and to have a strong relationship with God. I hope that you can see God is there working for the well-being of his people. And when we think, what has Jesus done for me? I can't help but think of, as we close, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, that says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the peace that can get rid of our anger through the blood of the cross. That's the God whose thoughts are higher and whose ways are much more greater than mine. And so if we're angry with God and it may hurt, Jesus is the way through that pain. Jesus heals, Jesus redeems, and he's the one that saves. And if you want to start that relationship with Jesus tonight, you want to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, it begins by making that decision right now. If that is what you want, come forward while we stand and we sing.